Well, for the last four weeks, we have been talking about how it's okay to be not okay, especially at church. It seems that a lot of us grew up thinking that at church we have to put up on an appearance that we have it all together, even though we don't. So we're striving to be an authentic community of faith, not a church that's full of perfect people. And today we're talking about doubt and disappointment. Ever find yourself doubting your faith? Ever doubted God's existence or His goodness? Perhaps you've had some intellectual questions or perhaps some historical questions that just don't seem to add up. Perhaps you've had some experiences in, in your life that uh, don't seem to add up and, uh, with a good and, and loving God. Uh, prayers that haven't been answered. You thought God would show up, but He didn't. Maybe you've gone through a very difficult season of life and you wonder if you can hold up under all the pressure. And you find your faith teetering on the edge. And you ask yourself, do I really believe in God? Is He really there? I hear people talking about how God answered their prayer or how He healed them or, or how God spoke to them or changed their life. And, and I can't say that's true in my life. Have you ever thought that? Maybe somebody you know. Or maybe somebody you love has. And if you felt that way, I want you to know that you're in good company. The Bible has plenty of stories of people who had major doubts. In fact, probably the, the best known is a guy named Thomas. In fact, he is so uh, well known that 2,000 years later, if we know somebody who is having trouble believing, we call them what? A doubting Thomas. Imagine living with that for the rest of, well, for all of eternity. <laughs> John's gospel puts it this way. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. In other words, trust us, Thomas, just believe. But he cannot. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And that seems logical, doesn't it? You say he rose from the dead? Well, that's pretty hard to believe. I mean, nobody does that. I need some proof. I need to experience it in person and not just take your word for it. Well, a few days later, Jesus shows up when all the disciples are there. And here's how the gospel writer puts it. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. What? <laughs> they saw the resurrected Jesus. They experienced Jesus in, in, in person with their own eyes. And still they had doubts. Why? I think it's because doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's not either you believe or, or you don't believe. Doubt is a part of our faith. It's part of the tension that we carry with us always. In the book of Jude, verse 22, uh, the author counsels church leaders. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Clearly, there were people in the early church who struggled with doubt, just like you and I do. 
So let's take a look at the book of Lamentations. It's found between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And tradition has ascribed the authorship to the prophet uh, Jeremiah. It's only six chapters long, so it's very easy to miss. And it's really not a fun read. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's kind of a depressing book. I mean, after all, it's a lamentation over the city of Jerusalem, which lies in ruins. It was destroyed in, in 587, the entire city, by by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And the temple built by Solomon has been pillaged and and burned, and and much of the population is either dead or has been carried off into exile. You see, the temple was the center of of worship, and it represented the, the presence of God, and it was a sign of his promises. But now it's gone. Did you know the Jewish faith reads this book in their synagogues Every year, uh, on the 9th of Ab, around the month of July in our calendar, for some 2,600 years, they have been doing this to remember the anniversary of the destruction of their temple. How deserted lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow she is who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. And so the city has been depicted as a woman bereaved of her husband and children. No praise of God, no gratefulness for his mercy, no references to God's promises, just great loss. A crowded city, now empty. The queen, now a slave. A once powerful nation, now a lonely widow. No one to comfort her. In fact, five times in the first two chapters of this book, the writer says, there is no one to comfort. Seems when bad things happen, that suddenly we find ourselves alone. I think the saddest words in this book are found at the very end. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless, listen, unless you have utterly rejected us, have you? And are angry with us beyond measure, are you? See, the writer of Lamentations is asking for a return to the good old days. But there is this big qualification, unless. Unless you have utterly rejected us, and and unless you are completely done with us. Maybe this isn't temporary. Maybe this isn't forever. Maybe this tragedy will never be resolved. We thought that you would show up to help us, oh God, but you didn't. Maybe this means that you don't love us after all. And maybe you have found yourself asking the same question. God, you could have saved this marriage, but you didn't. God, you could have prevented this tragic loss. 
I know you could have. I know you have the power. I know you have the ability. But, but God, for some reason, you didn't show up. God could have prevented this disaster, but God didn't. And so the writer of Lamentations looks around and he, and he asks, he looks for an answer. And he begins by looking inward. He says, this was our fault. We caused this. Verse 8, he says this, Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so had become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. You see, the nation is, is having to take a hard look in the mirror. The nation was supposed to be known for, for honoring God, for being a light to the nations, for doing justice and, and caring for the poor. But she was doing none of those things. And so again and again, God sent the prophets calling the nation back to her original calling. But she continued to, to engage in corruption, to, in economic oppression and political infighting. And now she was reaping the consequences. I said a few weeks ago that karma was a pagan idea, not a Christian one. We know that bad things happen to good people and, and good things happen to bad people. But, but Paul writes in Galatians, he says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Isn't that interesting? God cannot be mocked. So what Paul means here is that, is that we can't treat God with contempt by being a jerk and then expect God to come in and, and to fix our mistakes so that we don't have to suffer the consequences of them. Our actions determine our, our outcomes. If we sow to please our selfish nature, the, the outcome will be harmful. If we sow to please God, then we'll reap eternal life. You see, sometimes the, the pain we experience in, in life is the result of our own bad choices, our own decisions, our own actions, our, our own attitudes. I mean, so much of my pain is self-inflicted. So much. One day I was trying to get all of my work done so I could take some time off. And I decided to take a break and go over across the street to, to get some caffeine. And while I was in the store, this stranger came up to me. He said, do you have a few minutes? And I, I made a quick judgment. I thought he was trying to sell me something. And, and I said to him, you know, I really don't. And he said, okay. During my short drive back to the, to the church, I had this pretty intense discussion with myself. Have you ever done that? I, actually, it, it, was, it was a pretty intense argument. I was arguing with myself. And, and I was arguing both sides pretty well. I was saying, you know, Mark, you are busy. And this guy, he was just trying to sell you something. And, and then the other part of me argued, well, but you're a pastor. <laughs> you should have at least stopped to ask him what he wanted. Well, the next morning, um, I learned we had a member who was in critical condition in the hospital. So I drove over. I, I walked in the hospital room and was shocked and puzzled to see this very same man who had been at the coffee shop now sitting in the hospital room. He introduced himself as the son of our sick member. And just as you can imagine, I felt pretty stupid. And a wave of regret and embarrassment swept over me. What a jerk I am. 
Just hang a sign around me that says hypocrite. He was pretty gracious. But during the drive back to the office, I decided that I needed to change. And so I made a decision that I would never, never put work over people again. Well, most of the time. How often do we look for things and we think, you know, if only this person would change. If only the circumstances were different. God, if you would just come in and, and fix that person or if you would change my circumstances, then God, I, I would be happy and I, I wouldn't be disappointed. I wouldn't doubt you anymore. But the problem isn't always out there, is it? Sometimes the problem is in here. It's often me that needs to change. And so God's job is not to, to, to let me off the hook by swooping in and, and fixing whatever problem I have so I won't be disappointed. You see, for some of us, it may be that our doubts about God are our own way of avoiding accountability for our own choices. Maybe we feel far away from God because we want God to be far away. We want to keep Him at a distance. Maybe there are some areas of our lives that we don't want God to be a part of. And God's remedy, God's remedy may be to allow us to deal with those consequences. And so part of answering the question, why has this happened, may be found by looking in the mirror. But that's not the whole story. There's another reaction in this book. Sometimes our pain doesn't make sense. Sometimes there isn't this clear line of consequences. Sometimes the loss doesn't have an answer, and it leads us to doubt and to disappointment. Listen to what he writes in chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again. And maybe you find that happening to you. It just seems like one bad thing after another keeps happening. And then it gets really personal. Some scholars don't think that Lamentations is an eyewitness account, but it sure reads like one. Listen to what he writes next. Is it nothing to you, all who you who pass by? Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? You see, he seems to be inviting people to, to observe how bad his life is and how God has been the cause of it all. Look what God has done to me, he says. This is God's fault. See, this is no put on a happy face and let's ignore the pain. This is not, I'm going to come to church and pretend like everything's okay when I'm not okay. We do that a lot, don't we? I remember I was about 13 years of age and and I, I, got, I, I, was, I got into a fist fight with a guy who was much bigger than I was. I mean, I was badly mismatched. And, and by the time the fight was over, it only lasted about 30 seconds. I mean, I was this bloody mess. You know, I had blood coming out of everywhere. 
couple of these adults, they walked up to me, or they, they ran up to me, actually, and can we help you? Can we call your parents? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I'm fine, really. You know, blood's coming out. Yeah, no, I'm okay. Just let me walk it off, you know. I'll walk it off. I'll be okay. You ever done that? Inside, you're, you're really hurting, but you don't want anybody to know. Why do we do that? Pride? Stiff upper lip? But not this guy. Is any suffering like my suffering, he writes? And unlike Job, there's no reply. There's no answer from God. God seems to be silent. The, the writer is left waiting and wondering and praying in the dark like some of us, waiting, wondering, and our prayers seem to go nowhere. You know, there are times when I wish I had all the answers. We were just talking about that the other night, you know, with some friends at dinner time. Why can't pastors have all the answers? Why can't we have all the answers? Because at some point in all of our lives, we're going to hit a moment where there is no middle ground. And we're going to have to choose what it means to actually have faith. You see, we can only hold on to faith so long as this ambiguous kind of warm, fuzzy feeling thing where God is nothing more than a, than a, than a, a lucky rabbit's foot or a good luck charm. And then we begin to realize that's not what faith is, that, that faith is not just an answer. It's a choice that we make when we are all out of answers. That, that faith is not just a, a feeling of trust. It's a choice that we make when we feel like there is nobody that we can trust. Lamentations begins with questions, and it ends with questions. But in the middle, there seems to be an answer. And the writer pins these haunting words about his choice when he finally realizes that there's no middle ground, that his faith is not this warm, fuzzy feeling, that it was going to be a choice that he had to make in the very midst of his doubt, in the midst of his pain and his hardship. And this is what he says, chapter 3, verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Faith is not about forgetting the past. It's not about remembering the pain. It's what we choose to call to mind when we're in the midst of it. And so it's a decision to say that the God who has not yet answered is the same God whose compassions never fail. The God that I cannot see in my circumstances today promises new mercy somehow, some way, tomorrow. And so faith is choosing to believe when there's no reason left to believe. It's choosing to trust when there's no way left to trust. 
And we don't do this blindly. It's not some kind of naive sort of thing. We do it because of what we see in Jesus. You see, many people believe the words that I, I read to you earlier were actually prophetic words about Jesus as he hung on the cross. Let me say them to you again. Is that nothing to you all who pass by? Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? Those words are a part of our Good Friday liturgy. You see, the writer of Lamentations in his day could not yet see what God would eventually do. He could not see that the man who would truly see affliction was not in Jerusalem that day, but was in Jerusalem 600 years later, the carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus. You see, his prayer was ignored. He was made a laughingstock. He was weighed down by the cross. His body was broken. He was made to drink the gall. His side was pierced, and he was put into a tomb and shut into the darkness. But God showed up. His love didn't fail. His compassion didn't fail. His faithfulness didn't fail, which means that if it is not okay in your life today, that is not the end. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead proves that there is nothing beyond God's redeeming touch, that God is not finished writing your story, that his work isn't finished. For all of us who doubt today, who have questions, for those of us who think that God is missing in action or that God is to blame, your hope does not reside, thankfully, in, your, in the strength of your own faith, your hope, our hope, my hope is in the strength of God's faithfulness, which he promises will never end. Let's pray. Oh God, sometimes in the midst of our not okayness, we are haunted by your silence. We are haunted by our doubts. We are haunted by our questions. And sometimes, God, it can be difficult to believe that you are there, that there is someone who is listening to our prayers. And so in those moments... Remind us that we are never alone. And remind us that Christ, rising from the grave, has changed everything. Hear this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.